This is Talking in Stations. It is season three, episode 16, recorded on Wednesday, August 28th. I am, of course, M. Artemis Albosa, a member of Pandemic Horde. Joining me today, as always, we have Ron USMC, a member of Test Alliance. Please ignore. Hey, guys. Also joining us, as always, we have Silver Suspiria, a member of Federation Uprising. Hope everyone's well today. I certainly am doing very well. And we're just going to go ahead and jump right into the content for today. First, we have a bit of a, a deep dive discussion that we're going to be having about Entosis War, or pardon me, Entosis fighting within the Southern War. Uh, or it could like be generalized name. to <laughs> Entosis fighting as well. And then we also have just a bunch of news that has happened, some interesting stuff that happened with players, and then a lot of stuff coming out from CCP, future changes and things like that that we'll get to a bit later. But first, let's let's talk about Entosis Warfare. Now, before we get into the meta and how fights play out and everything like that, we should probably mention for the viewers and listeners who are unfamiliar with NullSec or with the way Sovereignty works now, since we have a lot of returning players, it works using a module called the Entosis module. And this module in particular works such that you activate it on certain structures in space. And while it is active, your ship cannot warp your ship is limited to a certain speed and by the way repping my old noir bros the noir entosis module is technically speaking the fastest entosis module in the game because you can go faster in terms of meters per second with that one than with any other entosis module feeling proud boys oh that's interesting so wait hold on i just what what, what module is that again that is the Noir Entosis module. I've got to look it up. What's up, man? There's also like a Pandemic Legion one and a Spectre Fleet one. From back when Entosis modules were first being tested on the Duality server, there's like a sort of Thunderdome thing set up. And the winners, the people who had the most sob at the end, got their own modules. All of the other modules were named after the alliances. But Noir, granted this is before I joined, but those guys, those crazy guys, formed an alliance called No Not Believing. It was a single corp, just Noir. If I recall correctly, they may have had some friends they brought along with them. And they managed to punch above their weight, get in there with Spectre Fleet, get in there with Pandemic Legion, all those dudes, and take enough soft to get a module named after them. I did not know that. I did. That's so cool. I didn't even know that. You should probably yeah. save that for the later segment, but uh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, be right back. I'm going to just check the market real quick. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, mechanics have changed since then. So back then, a lot of things were restricted on Entosis ships. Nowadays, you can receive remote reps, just like any other ship. You also have a bonus to your sensor strength. This is to prevent you from being jammed, because if you're jammed, your Entosis module red cycles, which means it stops cycling up. Which brings us to the next point, which is sort of how the Entosis works. You, It effectively works in two cycles. You have a startup cycle, where you're making zero progress. And after that startup cycle finishes, then you start making progress. But if at any point, because you get jammed or you die or whatever, you lose lock because you're damped, then your cycle, red cycles, it ends. You have to do the warm up cycle again. Now, in order to balance this, CCP has introduced some specific mechanics where you cannot fit Entosis links to interceptors. And furthermore, on capital ships, they have their duration, was it doubled or multiplied by 10? I can't quite recall. 
like 10 or something 10. like that. Yeah. yeah. So on capital ships, sure, you can sit there and you can tank and you probably can't be jammed depending on the modules you have running, but it also takes a much longer time for your spool up cycle. However, after that spool up cycle is complete, then all Intosis modules go at the same rate. You make progress just over time. Speaking of which, what do you make progress towards? Well, the structures which can be Intosis are two of them. There's the TCU, the Terrestrial Claim Unit, and the iHub. So those are the two things people are going to be fighting over. And Ron, go ahead and tell us about like what ships do people use to fit these Intosis modules to? Yeah, I think you know you can kind of def divide them, right? So light, heavy, and then super heavy intosis. And light intosis, you know, can also be troll uh, toasting, but you know that could be anything. A frigate, uh, an atron, you know, we do kestrels, and uh, you know any sort of thing. Tristans are really, really popular. Um, just because they're fast, they have drones um, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, I, the kind of next step up would be, you know, the command destroyers, right? So the Bifrost, the Magus are really popular. Um, and because they're popular because you can get them up to the speed limit, right, which is 4K. And, but the, the most important thing is they can boosh out, right? So, you know, if you're intosising, right, you're just cruising at like 10 kilometer orbit and an enemy fleet comes on you, like what happened to me last night, uh, an enemy fleet lands on you and then you just boosh out, then you have a hundred kilometer head start and then you hit your link, right? You have a skirmish, um, evasive or rapid deployment. You hit rapid deployment and then you're going at 4K a second. So, you know, they can catch up to you, but it's really, really difficult. Right, because you can't you can't warp, right, Ron? But you can run, and usually these ships have a T two intosis links on them, so that the cycle time is much shorter. So by the time anyone could probe you or catch you, your cycle should be down, and you can warp off. Sometimes you can see these things with a cloak too. They could see you coming on D scan, push off and cloak, and you don't know where they are. Yep. We should mention. I forgot to mention it when we were discussing what exactly an intosis module is, but the range on these things is very limited. If I recall correctly, a T1, you can only use it out to 25 kilometers, and a T2 is only out to 50 kilometers. So there is some good like skirmish fighting within that range, but in terms of regular fleet doctrines like eagles or munins, things like that, they'll be able to hit you no matter where you are if you're right next to that beacon with an active intosis. But if you boosh out, like Ron is talking about, you're getting away and you're surviving, but your intosis module does red cycle. And so you have to start back up again if you do manage to survive. Yep, that's exactly right. You know, so the commit, th those are really strong. They're preferred. Uh, they're pretty agile. The next step up would be, you know, heavy intosis. And heavy intosis is really, you know, like the Drake, you know, or Roke or whatever kind of battleship or, uh, you know, a lot of some people have used like passive Nereuses and that that sort of thing. But really, the heavy Intosis only has one job, and that job is just to stay alive long enough that the response fleet can get to you, one, or two, that uh, a couple of interceptors or a small gang can't kill you. That's it. And then the super heavy Intosis, right, which is a fax. And that's when you really, really want uh, that node. So then you just start dropping Master Race faxes. You know, and last night we had three or four of them out, I forget. And then, and they had a couple out as well. So those are the sort of levels, right? And 
when you are doing entosis, when you're thinking about it, like how active is this system going to be, right? Because so uh, when the timer starts for entosis, the nodes, um, the entosis nodes spawn in anywhere in the constellation randomly. So you think, well, where are they at? Where are you at? And, and can I hold them here? Uh, are there three in a system? Did you get really, really lucky? And there's three in a system. And then you can just block up that system and bounce around between the nodes. Can you put heavy? Can you put light there, right? So really, the heavy is when you want to keep it. Uh, the T3s are when you want to keep that node. And then the lights are you know, more along the lines of like suicide missions. You're sending them all over the place because they're going to die quick. They're not going to last long, uh, you know, but uh, they also have cloaks, right? So they can warp to the node and cloak up and then watch for response fleets and then leave, right? So they're also very, you know, handy for off offensive toasting. To go into a bit more detail on the mechanics behind where those nodes spawn and what those nodes are. So when you first entosis a structure, it has to be either a TCU or an iHub. And there's only ever going to be one of those in any given system. So like if, for example, if we look at Dotland here and we look at Zeotac PX, if I can see properly, it's on the border between Omist and Tenerifis. That system itself has an iHub and a TCU. Now say Winter Coalition comes in and they want to take that iHub away. They'll entosis it if it's within the vulnerability window of that sovereignty. And then after the timer comes out, it will spawn command nodes. And these command nodes can spawn throughout the entire constellation. In this particular case, that constellation is named WTAC3E44, which is usually the system itself and then three to four to five systems adjacent to it within its region. And within that area, nodes can spawn up to, is it five at a time? Help yeah. out my memory. Yeah, maximum and five, yeah a maximum at five at a time, and they also spawn over time. So as you kill one, more will pop up, but there can only ever be existing five at any given point in time. And Well, there could be more than that. But oh, yeah. there can? If it goes yeah. late. Yeah, if it, ah, the longer it goes, the more they just start spawning everywhere, yeah. Right. So initially there'll be five, and then the later it goes, the more it can spawn. It could be anywhere between four and five initially. Uh, so the attack, the the attacker, well, defense wants five, right? Because they can get in there and tackle them down quickly. Um, but yeah, it could be four or five initial spawn, and then it goes up from there. Let's talk real quick before we jump into sort of the fleet meta. How do these nodes? How is capture progress made for the attackers? How is progress made for the defenders? And how do we decide who wins this thing? Well, think faction warfare. I'll, I'll pass it to Ron, but it's similar to faction warfare in the fact that you have to capture this area of space by controlling the area around it. Right, Ron? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what's important, uh, you know, is that a single fleet, you know, won't do this, right? Um, you know, one of the really kind of interesting things about, uh, you know, the, the kind of fleet meta, right, is that there's going to be an FC, Basically, that will be doing the combat. We'll, we'll be doing the fighting and that kind of thing. And then there'll be, you know, an Entosis FC, right? And that person solely, you know, thinks about the Entosis, right? And then there can be several others. Uh, you know, last night, I think we had seven. Um, then there's going to be, you know, like a tackle FC because everybody is completely autonomous, but you ask each other for things, right? So, um, you know, if you're running three nodes, 
here you're trying to coordinate all that and you're trying to coordinate getting your heavies there or lights over there. And then at the same time, they might be fighting in a gate two jumps away. And then you're asking, you know, uh, the, the tackle FC to send people over here to watch me, right? Because it's so easily disrupted by a jamming Griffin or three interceptors or something like that, enough to just scare you off, right? Because if you're entosising the node and then they come in and then they tackle you or whatever, try to kill you, like it, one really popular kind of meta that we see, you know, from Winterco is like O&Is. O&Is are great anti-tackle ships. They come in, they have a good tank. The Osprey, yeah. Ah, right on. Yep. Nice. They have a nice tank. You know, they're they're very kitey. They're very quick. So, you know, they'll come in and they're great at killing tackle, killing small stuff. It's like at that uh, kind of verge of not quite light and not quite heavy, but it's just right in the middle. So, you know, it's, it's great to have separate comms and that sort of thing to be able to have... You know, and then you can ask, you know, the, the combat FC, you know, hey, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then they'll come over a shift or, or they'll tell you, hey, we've got control of this particular system and there's three nodes in here. So then you can head over there. So it's really, it's really difficult, I would say, uh, you know, for smaller groups. Uh, it's, again, it's more kind of uh, geared towards larger groups and multiple alliances and lots of different uh, wheels kind of turning at the same time. I um, but, but the meta, of course, you know, for combat is, you know, basically munins. But for anti-entosis, you know, I've been seeing two sort of things kind of pop up, which are the sniper jackdaws. We're using them. Everyone else uses them. They're great. 130 kilometer range. You just warp in at like 70 and basically can kill whatever it is before they can even get off the node. Right. Cause it's got a heavy volley. Yeah, because you don't need to tackle, right? They can they can only go 4K. Yeah, and you're gonna volley everything up to that super heavy kind of. You can even you know rip off battleships and stuff. Yep. And the the other is T3s. So it's kind of it's like a weird kind of uh, you know spin off of the old uh, slippery peats, right? So they just add like a a jammer. So, you know, if it's a single Atron going around that node, offensive toasting, you warp in your T3 cloaked, you uncloak, you jam it. If you're successful, you warp off. And then that just wasted their time, right? So now they have to go start again, five-minute warm-up, three and a half minutes to do the node. Yeah, despite the the bonus they put into scan res, that is still a very viable option. Burst jammers work really good. Jam goos look really good. And and griffins, man, they're so dispensable. One popular defense strategy is just, just lob griffin after griffin after griffin at them, and then eventually you're going to get a jam off. And even if you lost 20 griffins, it's worth. We should mention that it's actually gotten more powerful recently because when ECM was changed to make it so that the target who is being jammed can lock the ship which is jamming it at any time, it makes it such that they also changed it such that the jam strength and the jam range on all jams was increased by 20%. So before, like when, when the initial buff to the jam, to the sensor strength on Entosis modules was put in, jams were all 20% worse across the board. Now all the jams are 20% better and a lot of the jamming ships have been buffed to make them more tanky or faster or something of that nature. So jamming has gotten even better as counterplay to Entosis. 
Yeah, and you don't even need like a specific jamming ship, right? Uh, an interceptor with a burst jammer, like a burst jammer two, tech two, can warp in, jam you, and just warp off, and then that's it. So then you have to start over. So it's like five, you know, seven minutes, eight minutes. But you know, one of the really interesting things, and uh, and I swear uh, that I'm not trying to, uh, you know, beat the uh, entosis as it's really awesome. I actually like entosis i think it's a really interesting mechanic but one of the things you know that i I think is kind of emerged from the entosis world is is their original design concept of taking it away from 15 supers you know bash a structure over right so now it's more small gang and on a lot of these uh, like when we're doing offensive entosising a lot of these really kind of fun things happen which are a response fleet will come but it, you don't want to ping the entire alliance, right, for two Atrons. So what you'll do is you'll send two or three interceptors or something like that uh, to respond to it. But then when you get there, you see that they have, you know, like five small ships. So then you'll bring five small ships. So you get some really fun and really interesting kind of small gang fights out of this. You know, we just had one the other day. And, you know, and I, I pinged just for like some, you know, fun kind of entosis and small gang stuff, you know, and it really just kept going and going and going until it was like 15 versus 15. And, you know, it's like, ah, bring whatever you want, you know, and then uh, everyone starts showing up. And even, you know, it was uh, so funny because as I'm sitting there monitoring the fleet chat and, you know, it's, and dispatching people then Vili x is up he's tackled like he's in toasting and i'm like Vili, you're not even in comms man <laughs> so and then you know uh Sado goes out it's just and it's a lot of fun right because you don't really get that sort of content you know what i mean it's like um well if you tried to do that then you're just going to get supered or bosoned right but doing it over in tosis everything's sino jammed so it's a lot of fun, and a lot of people bling, uh, bring out their like blingy stabbers and blingy tangus and whatever, and have some fun. So um, it's 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 a it's been a really interesting in that sense of these kind of small gangs. But then you know the fun is ruined, right? When uh, one team or the other, all right, munins, come on, leave it in ten minutes. <laughs> so who get, who can get uh, two hundred munins at the same time? So it's it's really kind of side fun, yeah. What's the benefit to bringing the munin fleet? Like, why would you finally say, okay, enough is enough. Let's just bring out the Munins. What do you get from that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's the best fleet ship in the game, right? Um, It's a cruiser. It's fast. Great gun platform. Great range. Um, Everyone has them because everyone, it's a doctrine. So, you know, if I ping and say Munins, you know, out of our northern staging, I'm going to get however many people are online, right? Like 200, 250. So... Munins are just kind of like the exactly what you just said. All right, enough of uh, people losing the blingy tangus. I mean, we killed uh, man, we killed a vagabond that was just insane. Like it, he was, he had this abyssal repper, and, and unfortunately, the the abyssal repper didn't drop. But he was doing ninety five percent of his shield every time he boosted. It was just insane. So you know, but lots of people kind of, and you know. Uh, if you talk to leadership from any group, they're just going to say that's feeding, right? Don't feed. So, you know, all right, the feeding, this is it. Nope. Munins, 
Everybody to yeah. your ships. <laughs> yeah, well, the mutants are important because, like you, like you describing, Ron, the the, the Sov warfare. Like once you get into the timer aspect of it, right? You've done the initial RF. Now you got to fight. The fight is over multiple systems across the constellation, like Artemis put out. So, like you, you need to be moving around all the time. It's like a chess match, right? The fleets are kind of circling around. Uh, the defensive fleets trying to pick off your Intos ships, and you're trying to pick off their Intos ships while you're not trying to run into each other for a gigantic fight. So you need a ship that's nimble, that can move fast and hit hard. And well, the Munins, you know, delivers on all of those things, so it makes it a great skirmish ship, as we all know. Real quick, before we move on to dig into some battle reports, I, I suppose I should rephrase my question, which is not necessarily what do you get out of the mutants, but why don't you skip all of the small escalation in between and just stump, jump straight to the mutants? Like, why is there this random, like, oh, we have an Intosa ship out, they send out three interceptors, we send out five interceptors, they send out a couple cruisers, we send out a couple cruisers, and then finally we say, whatever, let's get the mutants. Why don't you just have the mutants there to begin with? A lot of times you do. Ping fatigue, right? Like it's just ping exactly. fatigue. Like if you if you did that, then you would allow one person, right, with five alts to go and ping your alliance. And there, we already get the little notifications. That's enough. You can silence those. But you don't want to ping fatigue an entire alliance for, you know, some random stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, gauging the temperature. You know, and and even then, you still don't want to bring, um, you know, a lot more than what they have because you don't want to waste anyone's time because, you know, like, especially like in our stuff, like if you bring a lot, they're just going to leave, right? If you bring equal numbers, they might stay, right? So you want to get a fight. If you ask people to get in ships, munins, and come and fight, you want to get a fight. So a lot of it is really the kind of like the, the 4D chess game, right, of uh, kind of baiting you off of the nodes, right? Like, hey, you know, here's a, here's all my Tengus, right? Like, and I was uh, fighting Elo the other night, and he had like his cloaky Tengus, and he was trying to get me to come off the nodes, but I wouldn't, I wasn't going. And he even, uh, I don't know if he let, you know, one of his Tengus get tackled. I don't know, but, you know, he's next level, so who knows, right? Yeah, well, it's a valid tactic to troll, right? It's a valid tactic to set up a soft timer and not show up, or go attack an iHub with one frigate, or attack 30 iHubs with 30 frigates, right? So it's hard to know as a defense FC, is this a, a for real attack with a real fleet or or not? So you, you kind of have to send in your scouts, and the scouts will report, okay, like like uh, Ron was saying before, it's just one Atron, you can send uh, one Jackdaw over here and it's done or it's 15 ships, we might need a small fleet. Oh, wait, there. and now with Blackout, um, there was 20 in another system. So it kind of has a tendency to escalate like that or de-escalate. So you know, forming the hammer for every single time you get a, a Intosis notification or a timer can really wear out your guys very quickly, and it's a great offensive tactic to do. All right, yeah, um, you know, what's, one of the really kind of interesting kind of mechanics around is like troll toasting, right? And I think troll toasting is absolutely hilarious when it's on us and when it's on uh, the others as well. So troll toasting, um, the notification, right, that the Alliance gets. So you go, you lock up the iHub and you start in toasting it. So you have five minutes, the warm up. And then after that warm up, right as you start the real entosis, you get the uh, aggression buzz. Bzz, 
and you know, hey, and you have a weapons timer now. And but at that moment is when the alliance gets pinged, right? So what people do is they let that ping happen, and then they just point in a random direction and just burn out, right? And then cloak up. So then you send, you know, an interceptor or two, and you come down there, and there's no one there, right? So and then they'll. But the the interesting thing is, and there's it's a little wonky around this, is you won't get another notification for an hour, right? So the node will start to heal, right? But if you get it before it's healed, it still counts within that hour and they won't get another uh, notification and you can sometimes capture it. It's really, it's a wonky thing about it. And it'll, uh, it says it, like you won't get any more notifications for one hour or something from this particular node. So that's troll toasting. It's really fun. We actually just caught an iHub this morning, uh, troll toasting, so. Interesting. So let's let's dive into some battle reports now. Let's let's get the story of sort of how any particular fight has occurred. I see you've got one here from UOW Tech DR. What's up with this one? Yeah, you're gonna have to be more specific. Uh, let, me, let me take a look. Okay, you... we fight over these damn systems every day. <laughs> On August 27th at 15:45 Eve time is when it ended. Oh yeah, so this is actually really fun, right? So this is small gang. Um, this was, uh, what I did on this one is I had my alt offensive toast and I hub, and then, uh, he burned off the response fleet showed up and then they left and I started doing it again. And then they showed up again. But at this time, uh, you know, I'd already like got some people together, just kind of random small ships and I was bridging them in and it was it just kind of, you know, kept mounting up. Right. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, you'll see Vili and uh, Sado and all them on it. And it's it's just this like small kind of cruiser and below. And then uh, that this one is when uh, after they lost, you know, all that, then that's when I think uh, Elo pinged and it's like, all right, Munins, that's enough of this. Yeah, that's how it happens, right? You got this small gang skirmish that breaks out. One side winds up losing. And especially if you're the offense guy and you're, you get to stay on grid, you're going to keep attacking that structure. Then you got to escalate, right? Then you might call the mutants. That's sort of how it steps up. And the great thing is you get to fly something that's not doctrine, right? I mean, granted, it's not SRP, but it's still like, you know, you have like a whatever, like a vagabond or whatever. Like, bring it, you know, have some fun, you know, get in a, a little bit of, of a brawl and, and see how it goes. Let's let's take a look at Immunum Brawl, actually. I see we've got a battle report here. It's from looks to be an entire constellation. It took place on August 28th at around 06 to 08 Eve time. And it's it's quite the big brawl. We've got about 600 people on... No, pardon me, 400 people on both sides. 450 for the Legacy side, so slightly bigger. And we've got Legacy dropped a Wyvern, but apart from that, you're in Eagles and some Munins. And Winter Coalition has Munins, looks like a bomber fleet. Both sides have various amounts of support. Some of that could be Intosis, some of it could be Small Gang. We don't really know. So what, what's the story here? Yeah, it was last night. <laughs> that started at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and went to like 6 a.m. Uh, and it was just, you know, like a three-hour slugfest. And all, you know, sizes of Entosis were used, right? So this is a constellation. This is an important constellation because this is right at the kind of mouth of Deterit, right? So they really want to keep us out of that. We really want to get in uh, get in there and, and, you know, get rid of all the jump bridges and the Sino Jammers. So 
two jumps from fed up space. That's <laughs> yeah, it's two jumps from fed up space. And you know what's what's interesting about this, right? Is this we had you know a tackle fleet, we had Antosis, we had uh, you know the the main DPS, uh, we had like two main DPS fleets, and it's just kind of bouncing around and trying to maintain security in a particular system. Um, but you know, Winterco plays this really well, right? So because what they do is they don't care about the fight, right? They don't care. They don't care if they lose ships on the fight. They don't care about any of this. They'll stay tethered, you know, half the time because all they are is going after the objective. That's it. Yeah, so, it was the run. The defensive, the defense has an, uh, an advantage here in the fact that if they do nothing and they just control the nodes, they win by default. So the, the nodes that we're talking about on will decay and automatically win over time if nothing's done. Right, so a, a very strong defensive tactic is avoid whatever the main fleet is of the attacker. You're coming with me at Munins. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. I'm just going to go around and kill your toasters until they're all dead. Remember, you're in my space. You can't reship as easily. That's uh, probably Sino jams. So you can't bridge in reinforcements. If I kill all of the ships that you have in Tosis modules on, then I win by default. So I, we used to do this in Cloud Ring quite often. A bigger entity would come down in a battleship fleet, and I'm all big and bad. Well, I'm going to completely ignore you and just kill all of your tow ships until you have to go home. Because you can't win the objective with guns. You need ships within Tosis modules. Yeah, and you go through them quick. Like, you go through them quick. Real and quick. this just happened last week, I think it was, on the QPTT um, battle that we did. And I think we had, like, eight toasters. And they were wiped out within like 20 minutes. And then that's it. Like, where do you go now? Now what do you do? Well, you know, I mean, now the, the kind of benefit of uh, this fight in particular was we were able to reship, right? But then there's only so many on the market and there's only so many on contract. I mean, we probably bent, burnt through 30 or 40 or 50 uh, in Tosis last night. But, you know, it was a massive, massive brawl. Really good fight. And, they, and like you said, uh, Winterco played it well. Uh, the defense was good. Um, it went through that standard escalation bell, right? Like we went from light to heavy to super heavy in Tosa ships trying to win the objective. Yeah, so looking at this battle report here, it looks like Legacy Coalition ended up losing 16, 16.5 billion ISK, and Winter Coalition lost 33.6. But despite that ISK disparity, Winter Coalition actually won the objective, right? Yep, that's exactly right. So, so with the Sav fights, you know, a, a typical measure of success in EVE is the ISK war, right? So while Legacy might have won the ISK war, there is a lot of attrition involved with winning a, a, a Sav fight. So they were attritioning ships on purpose. So you can't really look at the ISK loss and be like, oh my god, they got slaughtered. They won the objective because it's an attrition fight, and they won the attrition fight. Right on. Any other final comments we want to make about this Entosis fight? You know, I think, you know, and this is just kind of like for Null, what, what I'm always surprised is that how uh, few people do Entosis. Um, and, and I always kind of say that the people, you know, because if you have Infomorph 2, like you can do Entosis, right? You can do offensive toasting. And, you know, one person with like five alts, you can make an entire alliance form, right? By just spreading out. And just keep doing it, doing it like on, on the side screen while you're ratting or while you're doing whatever you're doing. But 
when you really understand how easy Intosis is and how powerful it is, um, every day, and even this morning, it's so funny, you know, I, somebody's saying, hey, I, I want to try this. I really want to get into this. And I explained it to him, took like, took like 10 minutes. And then 30 minutes later, oh, hey, I reinforced an iHub. That was pretty easy. And I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, it's actually not easy. Like, how did you do it? <laughs> so, you know, if you're in NullSec, you know, Intosis is the game, man. That's solved. So, uh, you know, have some fun with it, enjoy it, and uh, try to bait out, you know, some of those like little small fleets and uh, and see what happens. Yeah, if you're for a roaming gang, right, and you have no interest at all in the Sav, if you were just looking for somebody to fight, bring a ship with a toast on it and start in Toasting and iHub. You'll be surprised how many people will form and fight you. You know, the, the roaming kind of thing is, is dead. You can't really get people to form for your roaming gang. You start toasting their iHub, they'll form and fight you. And that is one thing that was very much diminished when stations converted into citadels, because you used to be able to entosis the station services. So like stations, outposts, and nullsec, you used to be able to entosis and turn off their cloning bay or turn off their fitting. So like anybody docked in the station, they couldn't use their fitting or they couldn't jump clone or couldn't do industry or whatever. And so roaming games used to go around like with an Omen Navy issue with an entosis link and they had entosis the services until the people would undock. So I remember like roaming through Pravi and half the stations were like broken because they'd been entosisted by roaming gangs and things like that. But that's sort of gone away with Citadels. You can now just sort of hit the iHub. And if it's in a war-torn area, like in Detrid or in Legacy Space, things like that, then yeah, people will absolutely form for it. And even if you're not interested in doing the entosis itself, some people call it like solve mining, so to speak. If you find people entosising, go grab a jam ship. Like my second favorite experience in EVE Online was back when the station flip was happening, when outposts were becoming faction Fortazars. And some Bastion dudes were trying to capture a, a constellation up in Vale of the Silent that Mercenary Coalition owned. And there was like five to ten of them in Entosis Drakes, and they had some support fleet. And there's just me in a jam goo, warping around, jamming them, wasting their time for about an hour, hour and a half until eventually they gave up. And I just, my one guy in my jam goo saved the entire constellation worth of sob. It was fantastic. So like there's definitely small gang solo content out there that can be a ton of fun. It's not just mining sob. All right, well, let's let's jump into some other fun that some other people have been having in EVE Online as of late. And in particular, I want to look at wormhole space actually. This is usually something that we leave to Exuki's show, the, the whole story. But this particular battle report jumped out to me because it was a faction Fortazar that died in a C2 wormhole. And it was pretty cool. Really quickly, Ron, can you describe people who maybe aren't familiar with wormhole space, but they recognize the name Hard Knocks? Why may, not, why may that be? Yeah, Ron, tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, let me, uh, let's start Ron's power hour on wormholers. Jesus. Uh, you know, so Hard Knocks was known for just being big wormholers, right? And they were like super crabs, and they talked so much smack like they just talked so much smack you know and i i don't even know if they the ones who started that wormholer by the way thing but uh like you know on every reddit thread on everything you know it was like oh hard knocks and hard knocks and wormholers and oh and i make this much and then make that much and there were a couple people like streaming like them roracle mining and crabbing at the same time and uh yeah i mean they just, they were just kind of like the, 
I, I mean, I can't really say specifically, but like the impression that I got from them was that they were just kind of like uh, the big boys on the block and they would just kind of push around other people. I mean, that's, you know, that could be wrong, but that's uh, yeah, what I think. That was that certainly uh, somewhat of an accurate description, at least from the perspective of the majority of the game, the people who didn't play in Nullsec. And oh, as a result okay, of so this... Okay, so that is right then? Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Bullies? And as okay. a result of this reputation that they had for being bullies, they became the target of uh, the initiative, who had a wormholer corporation join the initiative, or at least some dudes from it, and they set up this like year-long plan to go and invade Hard Knox's home hole called Rage. And it was a massive deal. There were multiple hundreds, I think even more than a couple thousand dudes inside of this wormhole and Ravens, killing a couple of keep stars, faction fortizars, all sorts of stuff died. There were articles written about it. So if you recognize the name Hard Knox, that may be where you remember it from. And when this happened, there was the big question, is Hard Knox going to survive? Because they got evicted from their home wormhole, sort of the reputation was tarnished, so to speak. And recently they've been on a bit of a comeback. And as a part of this comeback, they invaded a wormhole. Uh, which wormhole was it? It was J212607. And they came in there with Lashak fleet. This was the C2 wormhole, which meant that you can't bring capitals into it. Only subcapitals can go into it. But you can build capitals if you own structures in the wormhole capable of that. But Hard Knox came in with Lashaks, and they found a faction Fortizar there, which they killed. It was a Horizons Fortizar. And then in Wormhole Space, there is no asset safety. So anything that was in this Horizons Fortizar stood a 50% chance of dropping. And if it did, it looks like Hard Knox made the decision to just kill it instead of trying to loot it and move it out of the wormhole to sell later. And so at the end of the day, the Butcher's Bill was over 140 billion isk lost by the defenders. Hard Knox lost a couple of sabers, a single saber, as a result of the Fortizar shooting it. And there's just a massive amount of ships killed. It's also worth noting that it looks like on the BR that a lot of defenders were there, but it actually appears to be the case that only one person was there piloting the Fortizar. There was no fight that happened. It's just because Hard Knox killed all the ships that dropped, it looks like on the battle report that there were hundreds of people in this fight. But really, it's Hard Knocks, 30 or so dudes, somebody piloting the Fortizar, and 140 bill worth of crap died. So who, who are the other guys with the cross? So the other guys, they're called the Vendom, then. I'm unfamiliar with these guys. I've never heard of them before. But apparently they were like, had 140 bill and a faction fort in their wormhole. They had so. some stuff, sure. Yeah. By the look of the rattlesnake fits, it looked like uh, they liked to crab in C5 space a lot, do the whole like remote rep rattlesnake thing, and it was profitable for them. But that was a, a battle report that crossed my Eve desk, so to speak, thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, some things where people are not having fun, unfortunately, is a corporation, a long-standing corporation called Massadeth, is disbanding. Uh, old school Eve players may know these guys from MOA, the Alliance, which used to be a, depending on your point of view, a thorn in the side of Goonswarm Federation back in the day, the CFC, or just a small nuisance that you remembered every once in a while actually existed. In any case, they were a well-known corporation and alliance, and unfortunately it appears that they are disbanding. So I used to fly with them back in Mercenary Coalition, some people flew with them in CO2 and NC Dot, etc., etc., 
If you haven't flown with them, you've probably fought them at one point or another, and it's sad to see them disband, but some of their pilots will be going their various ways and having fun elsewhere, I'm sure. I hope so. That's sad to hear. Ron, Silver, have you guys either flown with or fought against Massadeth, the corporation? Me not specifically. Uh, we fought Moa when we lived up north early in, uh, a couple of years ago, but not specifically this corp. You ha you haven't had the, the Quorum Storm experience? That's disappointing. Well, well, we've had the Quorum Storm experience from other groups, but yeah, not, not specifically them. Uh, fair enough. All right. Moving on then, let's talk about some more general EVE-related news. And I know, Silver, you have a lot of thoughts on this particular topic. The Sino changes, they have changed yet again. So the proposed change coming in September used to be that uh, only recon ships and Black Ops battleships could launch Sinos, or could light regular Sinos, and jump freighters, in order to allow them to do logistics better, could suddenly were suddenly enabled to jump to covert Sinos. So these are Sinos which are able to be lit by every Kovop ship, but only Kovop ships and now jump freighters could go to them. Well, that has been changed again. And the new update posted by CCP Rise is that now there is a new type of Sino, and it is the industrial Sino field. And it can be lit by industrial ships, be them Tech 1, Blockade Runners, or Deep Space Transports. And jump freighters can jump to them. So this is supposed to be the solution for the jump freighter problem to remove the barrier to entry of having the skills Sino 5 and a relevant cloaky ship in order to be a Sino free jump freighter. And also for people who like to do Sino vigils uh, for various unfortunate events that occur often in real life, there are Sino vigils for that. And these, once again, will enable those pilots to do that for less of an investment up front. What are your thoughts on this one, Silver? I'm just a little bit confused. I'm confused, and I and I I don't like talking bad about CCP. I'm not trying to, but I think they're confused about what to do with jump freighters. And in my mind, we went from a decent buff to jump freighter pilots because, oh yeah, okay, we had to train Sino Five. They gave us plenty of time to do that. That's a heavy train, but you get a nice convenience. Yeah, okay, they took away the interceptors, so that I'm talking about specifically moving your Sinos around to do freight, right? When you used to be able to use interceptors, you could get through bubbles real easy. They took that away, but they gave us covert Sinos. I thought, okay, good compromise because at least now I get a shorter duration Sino. I get a Sino that doesn't appear in everyone's overview. Um, it's a it was a nice convenience change, and I and, and you can light it in a Sino Jam system. In a Sino Jam system, which might have been a little bit OP to be honest, but I thought, great, this is a buff. Then they took it and went slammed the, the truck in reverse and backed over everyone that was following it and said, no, 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 no. We're going to take that away now. And now you're going to do these freight sinos that can only be lit by T1 industrial ships and up. I can't think of a more inconvenient nerf to freight pilots. I'd rather pull my fingertips out than drive a T1 industrial 17 jumps to where I need to get my jump freighter. They align like crap. They warp slowly. They're going to get ganked on every gate. I don't under, I'm don't. i confused as to why you were going this way and then just slammed it in reverse and backed over everyone who was like, yeah, okay, this will work. I'm just confused. Let, let me help you, Silver. So we're already using those, right? The clown shoe, the sigil, the nereus, you know, the passive nereus. Like, we're already using them. You can bridge it out somewhere, and then, you know, it has that passive shield uh, regen and... Light them. So I, 
I, the only thing I'm kind of curious about, to be honest, is will it be allowed to be lit on prospects? Right. Yeah. Give me a prospect or or what's the venture? The venture. If you give me the venture, then I think it's okay. At least you give me a frigate that's not like driving a stake through my eye, dry, you know, trying to move a sign out to where I need it to move to. To be clear, those are mining ships, and particularly the skill you need to use them is a mining frigate skill. Similarly, like if you wanted to use a coveter or a retriever, that's a mining barge. So that's different from the industrial ship, which you have the racial Caldara Galente Amar industrial ship. I actually, I like this change. Granted, I am not a jump freighter pilot myself. I have a jump freighter pilot skilled up. I just never bought the jump freighter and did the thing. But um, I feel like it adds some good balance levers to CCP's toolkit, so to speak. Because what they've done is you can do a cheap Sino. You can create a new character and it'll be in a Sino Shino ready ship really freaking fast if that's what you need. You can use the T1 ship for that. And for the record, you can like hyperspatial fit them. You can put eye stabs in the lows. You can oh, even do the guys are killing me. improved cloak Have and you, the micro warp drive cloak. I want you to do it. To get through. I want I've you done to do it, it before. This is how I get my blockade runners through Nullsec. In any case, you can do that if you want to get a low skill point option. Or you can use the Blockade Runner, which is Kovops cloaked. And they're really freaking fast, both in terms of base warp speed and also the regular speed. Like a Prowler goes 2.5k a second with a 10mn micro warp drive just by default. So these things can get out of bubble camp super easily. They're your option if you really want to get your Synode somewhere deep into a hostile area of Nullsec or get it through a camp. So in my opinion, it sort of removed what I would have considered in the past to be broken in terms of interceptors, which literally you could not catch these sinos. So that was broken. I like that it's been fixed now and you've added some cost. Maybe we've gone too far. Maybe the T1 industrial ships need a rebalance so that they're a bit more agile, or a bit more tanky, what have you. But I, I, I like this change. I mean, I just think that you're not a jump freighter product, to be honest. Like, I got to move my Sino. I use alts, man. I don't have accounts to train up three or four you know, blockade runners. That's a significant investment. And so people who were running jump freighters had alts that were low-skilled that maybe the SP farmed to do these Sinos for them. Now, if I got to go pick something up across, you know, space, which I often do in my own space, you know, Legacy owns a big chunk of space. Somebody sells me something, I got to go pick it up. I got to drive an industrial ship down there it's you know people talk about freight as being a time sink you've just added more time sink by me having to drive that piece of crap ship across space i'm okay with taking away interceptors fully agree that that was op but you can't limit people to these ships that don't move i mean just... if you think about it in the context of ccp's sort of chaos era theory where they want to make it more difficult for the highest skilled players you are the epitome of the, the highest skill player at the peak of the challenge mountain. You're in a coalition which owns large swaths of space. It's in Nullsec, the most dangerous area of space. You're moving massive amounts of items over large distances. CCP wants to make your gameplay more challenging, more dangerous, more risky. And so I think this change accomplishes those goals. Will it yeah, but that's also not hurt how, some other things? Maybe the way they, they approach it. My biggest complaint is you went one way, announced it officially. People were happy about it, started training that direction, and then completely switched, like, 
switch tracks. Like it's completely the other direction now. And it's just not nullsec players. Low sec I lived in low sec too as a jump freighter pilot and had to seed like if you were a faction warfare pilot and you want to seed a section uh, a system that you're gonna seed, you need your jump freighter. You gotta move your signal alt around a bunch of times. Painful dude. Just painful. And if if it was supposed to be a nerf and that's what they wanted, then why didn't why is there no like clearly with the nullsec changes, they're saying they want to make things more dangerous. This change, they just seem confused. And is it going to change again? I don't know, but I don't get the sudden move from one direction to another. All right. Well, I, th I think jump freighter pilots have had it too easy for too long anyway. They, fair enough. What about tolls? <laughs> what about tolls? And you know, come on now. I'm just kidding, man. I, I have a jump freighter too, but uh, I at least they're not chained to the four ships that we can use. Like, at least there's something different no, I, that they can play with differently. I, I, you know, I agree, but I just at least with covert ships, you have some mobility left. You're limited, and it's good gameplay. But mobility is important when you're a jump rated pilot. No one wants to spend like 30 minutes flying a T1 jump, you know, T1 industrial down there because that's all you got skills for, and then your two systems from where you're supposed to be, and you get ganked, and you got to do it again. I mean, you're gonna make one, you're gonna make people want to throw their monitors through the window, dude. Well, I'll tell you this: um, after the Sino changes were released, I was talking to uh, what, 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 what's his name, the CEO of PushX, Cassie. Yeah, I was I'm talking to Cassie. What they think. And but this was before the industrial Sino, and his uh, recommendation was an industrial Sino, like that sort of thing, on you know, like so that was like his thing, right? The dev blog explicitly states like they received an enormous amount of feedback on the initial like, hey, you get a covert Sino now thing. And it was that feedback from the rest of the community that was saying that we should get a freight Sino. So I think maybe, Silver, that you were just like your sort of class of people who says, yeah, we could invest the skill points because we want those extra benefits was drowned out in the noise of all the people saying, no, I don't have these skill points to invest. Give me something cheap. Well, I think those people shot themselves in the foot, is my opinion. All right, fair enough. Let's look at some other things that CCP have been doing lately, including a new app for your phones. Don't you guys have phones? Well, this is a great advancement. Well, fortunately, CCP is now supporting them again with Eve Portal 2019. So people may remember the old Eve Portal app. It certainly under-delivered from expectations. This time they're coming back again. They're developing it, developing it in-house, which is a cool to learn as opposed to with a Chinese company. I forget which one they used last time. And you can download it now, both on the iPhone and Android platforms. But in particular, things I want to highlight here is they're building it specifically so that you can interact with Eve other than just like send mails and view items and wallet and things like that. So specifically, the things I want to highlight here is that you can manage your skill queue in EVE. Like you can add skills, you can remove skills, you can buy skills, and then put them into your skill queue. And then, of course, you can also have notifications be managed, sent to you if your skill queue is running empty, things like that. The only limitation to the skill queue management, as far as I can tell, is like if you're doing skill plans, you can't copy paste those. And also, you can't do it for alpha accounts. You have to be an Omega in order to use the app to manage your skills, which I think is pretty cool. But other than that, like you can buy skins from the NEX store. It's It looks like a pretty awesome app, and it looks like they're building it from the ground up to allow them to like 
maybe in the future add PI management to it, maybe add other features. I'm I'm super hyped for it. I've tried it out myself and it works well. What do you guys think? Yeah, I've had a few of my guys try it out too. I haven't tried it yet. I have the old Eve portal installed on my phone that I use for really just Eve mail and calendar events too, I think still works. Um, but yeah, this is great. I like it. How about I, you, Ron? I love this stuff. I love this stuff. I mean, disjointed interfaces are still, you know, a little like, uh, you know, sort of in their infancy, right? But I, I love disjointed interfaces. I love, uh, you know, being able to manipulate things that uh, are not necessarily within your purview, right? I, I, I love this kind of stuff. And, and I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of games that already sort of do this, right? Like Digital Combat Simulator, uh, you know, you'll have, and that's a flight simulation game, and you'll have your kind of cockpit view, but then, you know, on an iPad, you know, you can put that down and you'll have gauges and different things like that. And on another iPad, you could put like the map. So it's it's very kind of cockpit-like, and I love that that sort of selection. You know, one of the things, you know, I, I thought of initially when I heard about this you know, was like PI or something like that, that you could do that doesn't necessarily interact, you know, one-to-one, you know, by the second in the game, but being able to manipulate that thing or just being able to do like housekeeping stuff, you know, with inventory or tags or that, you know, or, you know, as you, you know, are in alliance leadership, right, you can start managing ACL lists and, and things like that, that you don't have to log in for, right? Like, there's a lot of little things that you can just do, you know, that you could do on your phone that you could do away from actually having to log into the full client. So I love this stuff. I think it's great. Continue pushing it and, you know, continue do some bigger screens and let us do some different options. Right. Now, one thing I haven't tested yet that I'm extremely curious about is in this dev blog, it says that you can buy and inject skills from the market. I haven't tested it. I don't know, Silver or Ron, if you guys have, but do you actually buy it from the market or do you buy it from skills on demand? Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't tried that. I have no because idea. Because if you can buy it straight from the market, that's opening the door to you can now manage market orders from your phone, which a lot of people have requested for a very long time. I think that would be cool. But... At the very least, like the dev blog could maybe need some rewarding. This could just be using the skills on demand system where all your skills are just slightly more expensive. But if it's actually straight up like it buys them from the market, if there are some available on the market in the station that you're currently in, that's pretty freaking cool. Agreed. That's all good stuff. All right. We have some other updates from EVE Online from CCP. Another dev blog came out, this one talking about EVE Vegas 2019 and new plans for meetups in the future in 2020 next year. So the updates for EVE Vegas 2019 are basically saying, hey, axe throwing is fun, so we're going to do that again. And also that over 800 tickets have been sold. So tickets are running in short supply. If you want to make it, make sure you get those picked up before they run out. And go enjoy the fun. I won't be there, but I think a, a number of people will, at least from the from the TIS side of things. I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge. You going silver? No, I've done two Eve trips already this year. Uh, I can't do another one. I don't. Well, Ron, does a does an exclusive permaband set push you over the edge into going? I, I yes, that would push me over the edge. Hmm. What, Food what do you mean exclusive set though? Like. Do they sing the song that I want them to sing or like? <laughs> yeah, well, why is they definitely get, <laughs> you're getting CCP guard there. 
So that's oh awesome. well, yeah, so know. that's fantastic. Yeah, I would definitely Dude, go that guy. That. He's so Art. awesome, man. Like, what what a what a cool cat. The artist formerly known as CCB Guard, we should say, because he's no longer <laughs> CCB Guard anymore. Oh, I love it. No, like, seriously, if you guys haven't seen them live, they are really good, actually. You know, I saw them in Iceland and was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I think a lot of people think it's going to be a little bit corny, and it is kind of, but they're they're pretty good. Indeed. Looking further down the devlog, we've got basically an outline for tentative plans for the future. Looking at Europe, they're looking to expand to more areas. In particular, they're also looking to add an official Russian event in Moscow, which is going to be pretty cool. And they also say that just as a general thing they learned from the EVE Invasion World Tour is that it's good to go to different places than the standard, right? Previously, you had FanFest, EVE Vegas, EVE London, G Fleet, and that, those were your big ones, maybe Evesterdam. But they didn't really go anywhere else. And it definitely seems from this dev blog, they're looking to, to try new places. Speaking of which, over in North America, they're going to be handing, in, instead of going to EVE Vegas in 2020, CCP is not going to be sponsoring the, the EVE Vegas 2020, if I read this dev blog correctly. That's instead, right. they're handing over to San Diego for your EVE event, or for your CCP-sponsored EVE event in North America in 2020. Yeah, that, that's a pretty big change. Um... Those are totally different cities. And if you guys don't know, in North America, like, you know, Vegas, you're going from sort of the more party, sort of tr tourist kind of activity to um, just a totally different city. San Diego is pretty chill, great weather, beautiful city, but not the same vibe. So I'm interested to see how that changes things. If the type of crowd will change, maybe. I was planning on going to EVE Vegas. Now I'm just planning on building a new PC because San Diego is not my type of place. So yeah, that's see, the thing. See, uh, yeah, I would say totally that you're going to get a different type of crowd there, for sure. On the counterpoint, like my old CEO in Noir, Alexia of Cards, like, hey, I live really close to San Diego. I don't have to fly out to Vegas anymore. This is going to be great. In fact, just on a recent episode of Declarations of War, he was shouting out Matterall and Gobbins and Lady Scarlet and all of them who just sort of live in this, I believe it's Southern California area, talking about how great the community is there. So maybe you're just going to get access to a new community instead of the same old faces, so to speak. Definitely an interesting thing to test out. Yeah, and I mean, didn't E Vegas start out as a player event anyway? And then like CCP it did. kind it of was latched on? Yeah, yeah so you know what's the you know maybe it continues as a player event and they I'm move sure to san diego and that's fine you know it's all good san diego's a nice nice town like don't believe anchorman you know it's a it's, a, it's a beautiful cool city place. yeah fair enough and if san diego isn't your thing like it is not mine then be glad because ccp says that in 2021 they're going somewhere different again so we can look forward to two years from now if you want to pick up an EVE event in North America sponsored by CCP, because there are tons of meetups happening all the time all around the world, just only some of them are sponsored by CCP in terms of sending devs and stuff like that. Definitely, like if you want to head to an EVE meet, go to evemeets.net. Help me out with the URL, guys. Uh, yeah, yep. that's right. <laughs> My yeah, memory I mean, uh... is fantastic. What, uh, my on. guess is either going to be Portland or Louisiana or Orlando. I'd like to see Orlando. Suitably odd cities. Right on. 
Yeah, it looks like there's, if you're in North America, you're disappointed about going to San Diego next year, you can head over to Charlotte, North Carolina for an Eve meetup that's happening literally in like two days. So there's definitely stuff happening if you want to just hang out with some Eve nerds and talk spaceships. But if you want to hang out with CCP and do it, you can head to FanFex next year or San Diego or Moscow, maybe some other places sprinkled in between. Yeah, FanFest is back in Iceland, right? Early April. It is indeed. I forgot to mention that. Good shout out there, Silver. All right. Well, that wraps up sort of the news and the in-depth topic we wanted to discuss today. We're going to move on to something our audience might not know. I'll go ahead and jump in first here and say this is something I have discovered. I'm not sure if it's a bug or if it's working as intended, but you can queue up warp commands if you're warping to bookmarks. So I discovered this uh, as a result of using Insta Undocs and Jita. So if you undock from G to 44 station, and then you warp to an instant undock bookmark like you should, barring a few special cases, you can then, while you're still in warp, tell your ship to warp to another gate. Like for instance, I'll right click on the name of perimeter, for example, in my pilot and my navigation thing and say, jump through Stargate, even while I'm mid warp. And then when I land at the bookmark, I will instantly begin turning around to warp over to perimeter. And this works for if you're warping to pings on a gate. So say it's blackout now. You don't know if there's going to be people camping, bubble camping your out gate. If you think you're pretty sure there's not going to be anyone there, you're willing to, to get a bit of extra speed, you can warp to the ping on the out gate. And then instantly while you're mid-warp, right-click or just click that gate and click jump. And as soon as you land at your ping at that bookmark, you'll start warping down to the gate itself. So you can queue up warp commands if you're warping to a bookmark something you might not know. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. Well, what's something I might not know, Silver? Well, uh, given the <laughs> the Sino changes, here's something that jump freighter pilots that are using Sino alts may need to learn how to do. Uh, I don't know if Dude, you're you're stealing mine. You're going to do the MWD cloak trick? Oh, no. Go are ahead. You? Please continue. Oh, sir. okay. Okay, okay. No, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know if you covered this before, but the MWD cloak trick on uh, industrials in particular will help you get around space in a ship that's going to not be so easy to move, right? So if you've got your Nereus, you could fit a T1 cloak to it and then a micro-warp drive of appropriate size. And so you're going to jump through the gate and you want to align to the next gate as quickly as possible and as stealthy as possible. You click align, you click cloak, you click your MWD. Then you turn your MWD off, and just as it's about to finish its cycle, you decloak and spam warp. You'll get into warp much faster. You'll be cloaked while you do it, and it'll make your life a lot easier moving around those sinos. Indeed. You want to make sure that you red cycle your MWD or set it yep. to auto-repeat off so you don't accidentally start an extra cycle after you decloak. And if I remember correctly, you have to use an improved cloak, right? The T2 one? Yeah, yes, improved cloak, yeah. Right on. All right, Ron, what's what's the tip you were worried about losing? Yeah, so he was saying Sino alts. Um, but if you, you know, if you like have several different Sino alts and you're doing like a jump freighter chain, um, one thing that you can do is when the Sino alt is rolling, you just red cycle, uh, you know, the Sino, and then you click, you know, whatever Astrohouse or whatever it is, right click set destination, and then turn on autopilot. And then you can just uh, minimize that particular client because as 
it, but you have to leave the sound off, right? Or inactive uh, sound when it's not active, you know, that, that kind of that setting. Because uh, every like 10 seconds, it's gonna say, cannot dock, cannot dock, cannot dock. But what'll happen is, as soon as uh, the cycle ends, it'll automatically dock. And then that's that. Yeah, awesome. Like that. All right, well, thank you, Ron and Silver, for those tips, as well as for joining me on the show today to talk about Intosis Warfare in depth, as well as some other various news happening in and around New Eden. That'll do it for this week's episode of Talking in Stations. It was season three, episode 16. We'll be back again next week at the same time, Wednesdays at 2359 Eve time. You can also catch the Sunday show at Sundays at 1600 UTC. And also some various things happening in between. I know Matterall is bringing back up the what's happening in New Eden right now shows. So if you're in for some more chill vibes, definitely check those out. Anyway, that'll do it. Thanks for tuning in.